0: It feels a little bit like we're playing a game of hopscotch, but, uh, you know, every other square basically has a landmine in it. So we just jump from one to the other. And the problem is you don't know which square has the landmine. So you're just kind of hoping that everything's going to be okay.
1: Welcome to the latest installment of Currently, the podcast that brings you the week's current events in finance, business and technology with insight from the experts. Your hosts are Ryan Pallotta and Terry Beeman. And today, they're talking with Henry Elder, Head of Decentralized Finance at Wave Financial. During our talk, Henry gives us a broad overview of the current crisis in crypto. He explains why movements in the broader market are felt more acutely in the crypto space, and why a lot of Wave's clients are sitting on the sidelines and waiting things out. Then, we talk about the contagion effect, and unpack the misfortunes of Celsius, and what's driving its growing insolvency risk? Lastly, we touch on what's happening with Axie Infinity and the future of play to earn gaming. The Prometheus app is brimming with insights from sector experts like Henry. With Prometheus, you can expand your knowledge by interacting with financial professionals and access the funds they manage more easily than ever before. Go to our website, prometheusalts.com, and get started today. And now, enjoy our talk with Henry Elder.
2: So Henry, thank you for joining us again. I loved our last conversation about all things crypto and some of the things that were going on with Luna the last time we spoke. So I'm super excited to talk to you again. You might not be as excited to talk to me. How are things going?
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you for having me on again. It's really great to be back here. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation last time uh and i kind of feel like i'm your crypto crisis guy now uh, we're just here whenever crypto's blowing up
3: just bring we you go to henry I can,
0: I can tell you how much my life sucks
3: we'll bring you back in uh on a good day too <laughs>
2: <laughs> no when when there's a good day we'll hit up like mike sailor or something
0: <laughs> yeah there you go there you go um, um so yeah you know it's it's been uh it's been interesting it's been interesting we um It it feels a little bit like we're playing a game of hopscotch, but, uh, you know, every other square basically has a landmine in it. Uh, So we just jump from one to the other and, you know, it's, you know, and the the problem is you don't know which square has the landmine. So you're just kind of hoping that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Um, So for
2: newer listeners, can you tell us, tell us a little bit about like a day in your life and what you do at Wave Financial and kind of how you navigate the, how you, how you've been navigating the past couple of weeks with what's going on in crypto.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I run all the decentralized finance for Wave Financial. So, you know, DeFi is basically like if you take the traditional financial system and you move it over onto the blockchain. So instead of a bank with like 120,000 employees and you know, risk department and lawyers and, you know, late fees and all that stuff, um, you basically have the entire thing operating on the blockchain and you break out like the little pieces, right? Like part of the bank makes loans, you know, part of the bank pays interest part of the bank lets you invest in securities, whatever. Like you break each of those pieces out, distill it down into its like simplest code and then run it on the blockchain and it runs completely autonomously. So like as a a good example of this, you have traditional crypto exchanges like Coinbase and Binance and Kraken. Mm -hmm. And then you have decentralized exchanges which do almost the exact same thing, but they all run on the blockchain. And there's no, uh, there's no, like, company behind them. They're run by their communities. Um, and so these things are totally decentralized. But with, like, a Coinbase or a Kraken or a Binance, you have to go through all these layers of compliance and KYC and AML and, you know, things break and, like, nobody will ever respond to you because customer service is bad or whatever. Um, that kind of stuff doesn't happen on decentralized exchanges. Like, you, literally anybody can just sign into this decentralized exchange. You don't even need like a username or password. All you need is a wallet. You just connect your wallet to it and you can use it and you can trade anything you want. Um, And we've actually seen like a ton of crypto trading volume move from centralized exchanges to decentralized exchanges. Um, Actually, I think like this week, or, or we're projected to like be the first time in I think a year and a half that centralized exchanges will be the majority of trading volume because it's, it's almost all been on decentralized exchanges for the last 18 months. And it hit like 80% uh, about a year ago. Um, so there's been this just like incredible, you know, tectonic shift of technology into this decentralized finance ecosystem. And there are so many opportunities to invest there. Um, and so, you know, I oversee all of the different strategies that we use to invest uh, in that space.
2: And then what does your job day to day look like when we're seeing a catastrophe like we're seeing the past few days
0: or a few weeks? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it just becomes it's all about risk management. Right. Um, so I come, I, I come originally from, you know, TradFi, from the investing side, and I had uh, like a very, you know, credit analysis background. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I put a lot of these risk management um, processes in place when I came to uh, Wave a couple, you know, three years ago. Um, and to our, uh, you know, to our benefit, they, they've worked quite well. And so, like, you know, we avoided UST and Luna, like we discussed mm-hmm. last time. Um, you know, we didn't have any exposure to Celsius, we didn't have any direct okay. exposure to three hours capital, but when the whole market is blowing up, like it is right now, you kind of get into this mindset where you're like, I don't know, like, even though I think my counterparties are high quality, I don't necessarily know what counterparties they have. I don't know how exposed they are to those counterparties. And like a group like Three Arrows Capital, which we'll you know get into more detail on what's going on there, but a group like Three Arrows Capital potentially being being illiquid and potentially being ins- ins- insolvent, mm-hmm. they were thought of as a very high quality borrower, and pretty much everybody in the space had exposure to them. Um, so yeah, you got in-
2: to, you you got to write what I wanted to talk about without me even having to say it. I was going to ask you like uh, we're seeing a lot of margin calls happening right now. We're seeing a lot yeah. of people, you know getting calls for, because a lot of people borrow crypto on leverage. What happened with Three Arrows Capital and how did you avoid that?
0: Yeah. So, um, Three Arrows, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it it gets down to leverage, right? Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember what the the quote was, but somebody was sharing. So they were a hedge
2: fund, just for people who don't know, they were a hedge fund pretty much for cryptocurrencies.
0: They were, they were one of the biggest hedge funds in the space, Mm -hmm. if not the biggest. 10, 10 billion in assets? Credits, say again?
2: Did they have 10 billion in assets or how much? How big were they?
0: Yeah. You know, so they were levered um, and that's, that's the crux of the problem. So uh, my understanding is that they had 4 billion in equity, which was levered up to like 10 to 12 billion um, and maybe even higher uh, uh, at times. Um, and they were not purely like liquid strategies. They were also one of the biggest VCs in the space. So they did a lot of SAFTS, they did a lot of equity investments, which are, of course, uh, quite illiquid, um, which is fine, right? I mean, if you're primarily just making VC investments, then you don't necessarily need liquidity in that that portfolio. Um, But they ran a lot of liquid hedge fund strategies as well, where they took directional bets on the market Um, and they went heavily levered in several of those. Um, And that's where they started to run into trouble last weekend and started getting liquidated. I think BlockFi was actually their first Mm -hmm. uh, counterparty to liquidate them.
2: And is that, so what happens in that kind of sense? Does that continue to drive the market down substantially because you get that contagion effect? And, you know, before we jumped on you and Terry, we're talking a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So we get something that's called uh, uh, basically forced selling, right? So you have two different kinds of selling. One is when people are like, hey, I think the price is going to go down. It's time for me to sell. Or, hey, like I've lost. Uh, I've lost confidence in this project, this space, this asset, whatever, I'm just going to sell. Um, and that's typically what you see, like, at the very bottom is, like, a lot of what, what you would call capitulation. People just saying, I'm just going to take my losses and go do something else. Um, what causes cascading, like, really violent downward shifts is forced selling, forced selling. And that's when someone takes, uh, let's say, their Bitcoin and they take out a loan against it, Right. Now, there is a point at which the lender is going to liquidate that collateral. Um, That's the liquidation point. And if you have a really big borrower like Three Arrows Capital, which is borrowing billions and billions and billions of dollars, um, if they reach those liquidation points, then they can basically create uh, a self-fulfilling cycle that basically fuels itself where they get liquidated, which causes a bunch of forced selling because all of their... Uh, all of their lenders are selling that collateral to pay themselves back because uh, Three hours Capital can't make the uh, can't pay them back, and then that selling drives down the prices of those collateral assets and other uh, lenders, other borrowers who were previously in a safe position, they start ending up with margin calls and then getting liquidated, and that can basically just keep uh, reinforcing that downward uh, uh, pull, and so then it's like you know even guys who um like like let's say you know we've seen ETH just absolutely crater in the past couple Mm -hmm. weeks right and so there were a lot of people who were borrowing against there were a lot of people who were borrowing against ETH uh, and their liquidation points were at like 12, 13, 1400 which two weeks ago looked like a very safe position um and as ETH started to inch down you know, that got more and more tenuous. And then once it hit that, it just, you know, it, it, it bottomed out and we basically tested $1,000. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way, like if you, had, if, if we had, if we had spoken two weeks ago, there's no way I would have said that we're bouncing along $1,000 ETH right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's the impact of forced selling. That's that, you know, nasty self-reinforcing cycle.
3: Right. Even on like stablecoin pairs that are supposed to be, you know, pegged to the dollar, you can see them like lose their peg and you might have a position where you're like, okay, I might get liquidated at, you know, seventy-five cents on the dollar. That'll never happen. But when the market goes like this, 75 cents happens. I mean, we saw it happen with Luna.
0: Yep. Yeah.
3: And then it just gets yeah. more and more vicious.
0: And even like, you know, USDC Punched down to like 97 cents for like a a brief second, you know, you know, we saw USDT trouble a month ago Um, It's 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 this contagion, right? Like nobody Mm -hmm. knows Especially when you're dealing with centralized counterparties. No one knows the extent of that contagion
2: And is it do you think it's a lot to do mostly right now as well with broader markets that it's correlated to what's happening with like the Fed and inflation and everything like that and but why are we seeing it so much more drastically or dramatically in crypto than maybe in other areas?
0: Yeah, I mean, crypto basically it, it's a higher beta asset, right? So that basically means it's more volatile than your traditional risk assets. Um, so if the you know if the rest of the market goes down five percent, we go down ten. If it goes down mm-hmm. ten, we go down twenty. Um, and right now we are in what is to many market participants a unique position, right? We have high inflation, we have rising rates, um, we have uh, tapering, quantitative tightening, um, we have wars, we have uh, supply constraints. Like there's a lot of uh, factors that are all coalescing at the same time to create an extremely uncertain market environment. And a lot of investors are not sure how to respond to these various factors as they arise. So like we saw this just yesterday, uh, the Fed announced a 75 basis point uh, increase in the federal funds rate, which is basically the what they pay for short-term uh, lending, right, for banks that come to them for mm-hmm. overnight lending um, uh, or what they charge. And uh, 48 hours ago, 72 hours ago, everyone was like, the less, the, the less that they raise the rate, the better it will be for the market, right? Mm-hmm. If they raise it 75 bips, then like that's more tightening. The whole market is kind of expecting 75 bips. So if they do 50 bips, it's almost like easing, right? Because it's less than the market anticipated. Um, but then 48 hours ago, that whole narrative in the market shifted, right? You could like watch it shifting on... Uh, crypto Twitter, as people were like, Oh, wait a second. No, like as long as inflation is out of control, they're going to keep raising rates. So they need to actually raise rates more this time to get inflation under control so that then they can start dropping rates. So Mm -hmm. then that will a higher rate rise will increase market confidence. And we saw that right after the Fed minutes came out, the market didn't know where to go. It Mm -hmm. was like drop down to a thousand. And then it immediately pumped 20% and cracked Mm -hmm. 1200 and then floated around there. And then today it's testing 1100 again. Um, So the narratives are shifting. A lot of people don't know what to do in this environment, how to play it. Um, And so like for us, for a lot of our clients, they're basically just sort of sitting on the sidelines. They're, They're taking more of a, you know, a turtle, a turtle strategy, right? Where it's like, go back into your shell, pull all of your assets back, reduce all of your exposure to counterparties, uh, and just let it play out.
3: So um, earlier you, you mentioned, you know, DeFi is the recreation of real world systems like banks on chain. Um, Wasn't Celsius Network or isn't Celsius Network essentially a blockchain bank? And what happened with them? In the past no, week or so,
0: not at all. So Celsius is a fully centralized company. They are. They have a headquarters. They have you know six hundred employees. Um, there are people, not smart contracts, that are there pushing buttons, deciding where to allocate capital. Um, now Celsius has. I need to make sure I don't get myself in trouble. So Celsius has in the past. Uh, confused people about whether or not they are DeFi or CeFi. So I just want to make that completely clear. Celsius is 100 percent CeFi, just like Wave is. They, however, took people's assets and invested them in DeFi and they did so very poorly. Um, And so that sort of brings us to the problem that we have today, where Celsius is also illiquid, potentially insolvent. uh, and cannot meet withdrawal requests and therefore had to shut down all, all withdrawals. It's
3: funny because they uh, you know they're like, oh, we're like the anti- bank like we're, we're, we don't stand for banks, but they're essentially just a bank, right? Right? Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. there's effectively, I mean it's they have demand deposits. They take that money and they you know invest it somewhere else, and they pay you an interest rate and they make the spread. I mean, it's exactly what a bank does.
2: And a lot of these companies that are really trying to be more decentralized and against these regulation rules are kind of making a case now for regulation because if we had some systems in place to maybe monitor the stuff and protect people a little bit more, do you think that's there? You know, there's more of a case here to be made for some regulatory sta- frameworks around companies like Celsius.
0: For sure, yeah, um, Celsius, BlockFi, Nexo, and the stablecoin issuers as well. Um you know there needs to be more transparency uh in those counterparties. Um because again like you look at defi and you can see like exactly what your collateral is on Aave or Compound or whatever. But you look at Celsius and BlockFi and whatever you have no idea what they're investing or where they're investing it or how mm-hmm. liquid they are or anything, right? Um, yeah, they're pretty
2: much saying know. like give us your coins, we'll hold them for you and we promise we'll give them back.
0: Yeah. There's also an interesting, outstanding question of like custody, right? So mm-hmm. Coinbase came out with this statement saying, you know, if Coinbase goes bankrupt, uh, we then- don't have to give
2: you your coins.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Celsius, it, you know, has similar terms and conditions, which is kind of, you know, is weird, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that doesn't really that doesn't happen sense. in
2: banks. If Chase Bank goes bankrupt. I. I probably will get my money but still out of them.
0: Right. I mean, the FDIC would, would step in and, and insure you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but also like there, there's not really like this question of like, do you have rights? Do you not mm-hmm. have rights? Like, are you a secured creditor? Are you not, you know, like that question doesn't exist. Maybe the bank doesn't have money, but like, you know, that you're going to be a secured creditor and you'll get something and the FDIC will cover whatever else is left.
2: Well, what was interesting about that Coinbase situation when people started noticing that in the terms and service was that Brian Armstrong then came out and said that it's going to, it's virtually impossible for us to go bankrupt. We probably, we won't. We just have to put that in <laughs> for like legal reasons. But now we're seeing them lay off 1,100 employees or something like that. Um, you know, we're seeing their primary business, which is making money off of transactions and trades, slow down incredibly because not many people are investing right now. A lot of people are saying yeah. the sidelines. So like, it's not that far-fetched that a company like Coinbase could potentially go uh, bankrupt, just like we're seeing Celsius, you know, what happened to Celsius. So people are pretty much at risk of losing their coins in some of these companies.
0: Yeah. Any company could go bankrupt, right? It's it's Mm -hmm. definitely not impossible for any company to go bankrupt. Um, They can overextend themselves. They can make some bad investments. They have, you know, they have an investing arm. Um, uh, So yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's cold comfort
2: <laughs> So for, pe- for people that don't really understand what happened with Celsius. Basically they were investing people's money that were giving it to them to hold on to. And, and yeah. through a series of bad bets, lost it all, especially with the market downturn. And then yeah. is, are you, is there like a sense of something fraudulent that happened here or, you know, not sincere? Like what, what really happened here that made it such a big story?
0: So uh, there was basically a failure of like risk management. So one of the basic tenets of managing risk is you need to manage your liabilities and your assets against each other, right? And you need to make sure that the denominations are balanced. So mm-hmm. if you have USD assets, you want to have those against USD liabilities. But you also want to make sure that the tenor of those, a- of, of those assets and liabilities matches. So if you have liabilities that anyone can basically call at any moment, but you have a bunch of investments that are very long-term locked up. Then if a bunch of people come to you and say, I want my money back, and you can't get it out of the investments, then you're functionally illiquid and potentially could be insolvent. Um, And that was what happened with uh, Celsius is basically people invested Bitcoin with them uh, and they took that Bitcoin. Actually, this was, this was more of an issue with, with 3R's capital. But uh, let's talk about, it. so people would invest in Ethereum with Celsius. And Celsius would take that and they would stake it on the Beacon Chain uh, with Lido and get Deeth back. Now, StakedEath is a great asset. Lido is a great protocol. But StakedEath is not as liquid as ETH is. Uh, and Lido, uh, uh, Celsius basically became like one of the biggest holders of StakedEath. And now they hold, I think, something like 400 or 500,000 stake ETH. But the total exit liquidity for stake ETH on chain is like 120,000 ETH. So there's absolutely no way that they can get out of that position, which is why as people were redeeming ETH from them, because you can go to them and redeem ETH at any time, mm-hmm. they basically said, we have to stop doing this. Otherwise, we become more and more of a set of a forced seller of stake ETH back into ETH so that we can meet those redemption requests. Um, they were also doing this with uh, other assets as well um, and one of the problems that made this, it made their state teeth even less liquid and made it a systemic issue in DeFi is that they would then take the state teeth and they would borrow against it to meet the uh, redemption requests of their clients. And so now they have all of these gigantic leveraged positions on Maker, on Aave, on Compound. Uh, and so <laughs> even if they could sell the stake ETH, they can't because it's, mm-hmm. it's collateralizing all of these positions and the price of ETH and stake ETH is going down. The peg for, for stake ETH and ETH has effectively broken and stake ETH is now trading at, a, at a uh, I think, a 5 or 6% discount to ETH. And so now they're in danger of those positions getting liquidated, which then creates the forced selling, you know, reinforcing downward cycle uh, spiral that we were talking about earlier.
3: Wow. So, do you think it's safer to participate in DeFi or to be in one of these uh, CFI assets? I think it's
0: definitely safer to be uh, in DeFi. And there's a couple different reasons. I've talked about transparency a couple times, right? You can basically see, you know, what the collateral makeup is of your smart contract counterparty.
2: Can you break that down for people as well? Like the difference between a CeFi and a DeFi, stuff for people that may not know.
0: Yeah, for sure. So CeFi is something like Celsius where, you know, it's a company, uh, you know, they're basically they're making decisions about, you know who they're going to lend to or how they're going to invest your assets. And you have absolutely zero insight into those decisions. You have no idea what they're doing with your money. Um, and they basically just pay you typically, you know, Celsius, BlockFi, next to all these guys, they pay you some kind of fixed uh, uh, like yield on the deposits. Um, DeFi, on the other side, on the other hand, is uh, it's basically a smart contract running on the blockchain. And so what happens there is you would deposit your assets um, and you can see exactly what's what's happening with them, right? And so you can decide which protocol you want to deposit them on. So let's use Aave as an example. Aave is the biggest lending market uh, in DeFi. Um, and Aave is simply a series of smart contracts. Uh, and so if you have Ethereum and you want to earn some yield on it, you can deposit it into Aave. And Ave will then offer that to someone to borrow on the other side from the smart contract. So these smart contracts are basically just a pool of assets that are servicing borrowers, uh, borrowers and lenders, p- putting them together. Right. Like think of it almost like Uber. Right. Uber just connected mm-hmm. people with cars with people who want to ride. Ave just connects people with money with people who want to borrow it. And since it runs on the blockchain, and since it's a smart contract, it's completely autonomous. There are no people. There are no the, the middleman is not a person, um, and so you're not worried that there is that that, that middleman is making decisions that could negatively impact uh, the quality of your investment. Um, Ave in the Ave model, if you uh, basically, you know, deposit your assets into Aave, that position is collateralized. I mean, you can effectively think of it as though you're lending your assets to Aave and then Aave is lending it to someone else. Your loan to Aave is effectively collateralized by all of the assets on Aave. So you can take a look at what assets does Aave accept and how many of those assets does it have, right? And so you can say, all right, Aave accepts, you know, wrapped Bitcoin and Ethereum and some stable coins. Those are great assets. I am happy having my loan collateralized by those assets. Um, there are some other projects that may ex- accept, you know, tokens that are like number two hundred or number two hundred and fifty on, you know, in market cap, and those have a lot less liquidity. You are probably going to get paid a higher yield to deposit your assets into that protocol, but you are taking a lot more risk. Because your position is basically as strong as the weakest collateral asset. So you want to make sure that whatever protocol you're using, whether it's Aave, Compound, Cream, or any of these guys, you want to make sure that the assets they accept are relatively safe, relatively stable, and highly liquid.
3: So I guess the biggest risk in DeFi would be a hack or then impermanent loss?
0: Yeah, exactly. Impermanent loss wouldn't be as much of an issue with like something like Aave. Um, But there's another form of yield generating in DeFi, which is called liquidity provisioning. So like uh, we were talking about decentralized exchanges earlier. The decentralized exchanges work by incentivizing other people, you know, investors to come and deposit tokens, which then other uh, traders can trade against. So like, Let's use Uniswap as, as an example. Uniswap has uh, smart contracts that are pools of paired assets, right? So, like Aave, they have smart contracts that are a pool of a single asset. Um, uh, with Uniswap, it's a pair. It's a it's a pool of two assets. So, like let's say it's ETH and a stablecoin USDC. Um, if you have ETH and you have USDC, you can deposit it into that contract. And then every time somebody wants to trade some USDC for some ETH, they would trade it with the contract. They would basically sell the contract USDC and buy ETH. And every time that happens, they pay a small fee to the contract, which the contract then splits with you as the depositor, as the provider of liquidity. Um, this can be incredibly profitable uh, in, in, in many different ways. Like, for instance, one of the, one of the uh, biggest of these contracts actually has three assets in it, Ethereum, Bitcoin, and uh, USDT, and it runs on a decentralized exchange called Curve. And that pool has seen so much volume over the past 24 hours that it's currently paying like a 225% annualized yield on Ethereum, Bitcoin, and USDT. I mean, those are some of the safest, best assets uh, that you can invest in. I mean, USDT, there's some questions, but whatever. You're not going to find a 250% yield on those assets on anywhere else. Um, So it can be incredibly profitable at times, for sure.
2: Hmm. I wanted to ask you a little bit about Mike Saylor, who apparently what I heard, he has a margin call on his Bitcoin at around like 20,000 or 21,000. And we saw Bitcoin dip below that. If, If he gets margin called, could that increase this contagion effect or this downward spiral that we're seeing? Because... He owns such a large percentage of Bitcoin. I think he has like thir- you know, 3 million or th- whatever, <laughs> 3 billion in Bitcoin, 3.9 billion in Bitcoin. And yeah. the other thing that I, I saw a video that's going viral right now, the other, you know, a little while back, I think when Bitcoin was in, in 60,000, he was basically telling everybody that you need to like mortgage your house to buy Bitcoin. You need to sell everything, you know, buy more Bitcoin. And then, and then when you've done that, do it again and again and again, sell everything you own, buy Bitcoin. And then he was like straight yeah. up giving them financial advice.
0: There is no second best.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is no
0: second best crypto asset.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing might. else. It's just that it's only Bitcoin, and he's, I love he's, that he's video. it's turned into pretty much a religion for him. But the yeah. interesting thing is, like MicroStrategy, his company that he's basically put his whole Bitcoin on, on his whole balance sheet doesn't do anything in crypto. It's a software company, and he's pretty much turned his company into a vehicle, almost like an ETF. For crypto, if you're investing in in MicroStrategy, you're essentially investing in the future of of Bitcoin. So it's just kind uh, unfortunate. So if you know, say, somebody did see that video and wanted, and then you know decided to go and follow that advice, seeing what's happened today, you know, he's he's kind of put retail at a big risk by you know advising them to do that and put so much of their net worth into uh, you know Bitcoin. And it 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 does seem a little bit unethical considering that he would be the primary beneficiary of more people. Buying Bitcoin because his company predominantly is like you know full of is like just pretty much a Bitcoin company at this point. Um, What do you think about you know that what he said, where he thinks Bitcoin's going, and the potential for him to be margin called because I think most a lot of his position is on leverage. Uh,
0: So actually, most of his position is is not on leverage. Um, (laughs) So on his loans, uh, he does get margin called um, around it was around like 21,000, but I, I think they pushed that down. So the thing that you have to realize is that he's, he's actually not that levered. Um, so in the positions where he took leverage, because he put up a part of his Bitcoin holdings and took some leverage against it, the margin calls are relatively high. But the vast majority of his Bitcoin hoard is actually completely unlevered. So according to, and, and this, is, this is according to him, right? So don't certainly take this with a grain of salt, uh, and I don't have you know vi- a view into their balance sheet. But my understanding is that they have a significant amount, the, the vast majority of their Bitcoin uh, unlevered, unencumbered, and so while their loans do get margin calls at you know twenty twenty one thousand, uh, they have more than enough margin to meet those calls and more collateral to put onto them. And what I saw was that he basically said we can continue adding collateral to these loans ad nauseum down to about $3,500, $4,000 uh, Bitcoin price. Um, so I actually don't consider MicroStrategy to be you know, a major source of contagion here. Um, I wish that you know, they did a better job of, of like trumpeting these numbers, right? Because mm-hmm. I think if people realize that, uh, it would it would help them to understand right there 's a difference between being margin called and actually you you know when you could actually be liquidated um so yeah, so my understanding there is that they have a you know a ton of uh a, mm-hmm. a ton of collateral that they can add to those loans
2: hmm. interesting and do you think we 're going to start seeing more of this happening to companies like three arrows we saw what we saw happen to three arrows and celsius and is is this going to just keep continuing on as we see crypto potentially keep going lower
0: absolutely yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean this is so if you think back to you know 2008 right Bear Stearns and then you know Lehman Brothers and all this stuff and that's exactly what's happening in crypto right now where nobody knows how strong their counterparties are uh, you know this this contagion is continuing to spread um, and there isn't you know there's no fed to backstop mm-hmm. the market um, so we basically have to rely on ourselves to Figure out a way to you know unwind all of this leverage in an orderly manner. Um, well,
2: where do you see you know things going from here in the short term and long term, and like how do you navigate it daily? Like you mentioned before we got on the call that you know you someone asked you at Trader Joe's the other day, "How's your day going?" And you know you 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 know it just sparked an interesting conversation. And you know you're pretty you're always pretty stressed. Uh, you know where do you see things going right now, and how do you you know try to you know, navigate this market right now?
0: Yeah. So for me, I mean, personally, I'm, I'm pretty much risk off, but risk off for me is probably a different, th- that word means different things to different people, right? So I am super committed to crypto. So I haven't sold my crypto. I'm holding a lot of Bitcoin. I'm holding a lot of ETH uh, and I am buying more ETH every day. Um, hmm. Whether or not this is the best time to be buying ETH, I couldn't tell you. Um, I just know that, you know, it's 75% cheaper than it was just a few week, uh, months ago. Um, and the thesis for ETH has not changed, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that ETH is an asset that's worth tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, 10 years, 15, 20 years from now. Um, so I'm perfectly happy to buy at these, uh, at these levels. Now, <laughs> risk off for me basically means instead of taking every paycheck and putting hundred percent of it into ETH, you know, I'm putting 50% of it into ETH now, I'm holding <laughs> on to the other 50%.
2: That's still a lot uh, of paycheck.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I'm also reducing my counterparty risk. Um, and that is primarily in CFI, which is what we've done at WAVE. We've basically, re- we've eliminated almost all of our CFI, you know, centralized counterparty risk. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also like taking a harder look at DeFi as well. Um, because even though everything is transparent, it can be uh, daunting to understand the complex web of connections between all of these different protocols. Even though you can see the, 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 the connections, there's a lot of them. So it takes some time to analyze them all and understand mm-hmm. how you know one thing happening on one protocol could bleed over to another. Um, so taking a very close look at that and you know probably, you know, degen farming and, and bets that I was doing, you know, six months ago, not not doing any of that anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. staying on major layer ones, almost entirely Ethereum, because that's where all of the liquidity is, which is incredibly, mm-hmm. incredibly important uh, risk mitigant uh, when you're dealing with DeFi. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, Avalanche is great. Phantom is great. You know, Binance Smart Chain is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, they, they don't have even a, even a shadow of the liquidity that ETH does on chain. So
2: what about something like Solana? Like what is their liquidity like when you compare it to ETH and, you know, we're seeing it drop in, you know, I think it's at like 30 bucks right now or $35 and not long ago it was at $250. Um, What's going on there. And what, you know, they've also had a couple, you know, hiccups lately as well with it freezing and things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Solana is beset by a few different problems. So, um, first of all, I mean, liquidity there is, you know, no better than, you know, maybe a a avalanche or a phantom Um, and it it might be worse. Um, But what is an even bigger issue is whether or not the chain can even operate consistently. So, you know, even if liquidity is lower on an avalanche or a phantom, at least like there's something that I can do because the blockchain doesn't stop. But Mm -hmm. if the market crashes and the Solana blockchain stops, like you're just screwed. There's nothing that you. There's no. There's literally no action that you can take. You just have to sit there and hope that you'll be okay on the other side. And that risk is not a risk that I would ever take. Ever take. I would never, ever, 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 ever take that risk. Um, it, it's just. It's insane to me that anyone would take that, that risk. What, what I mean, do you mean you that had, it like, couldn't like, stop? Like, like literally, imagine if you had like your entire net worth <laughs> sitting on Solana. And it's like, you're like watching it and you have all these plans and you're like, okay, like if that happens, I'll do this. And if this happens, I'll do that. And then like, it just stops and there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do.
2: I don't know, don't <laughs> what, I, love, I love your way of putting that, but what, <laughs> what do you mean it could stop? Like for people that don't understand, like if Solana just, and it's happened a couple of times, right? Or where Solana did- Yeah, it's happened stop.
0: like half a dozen times now, maybe more. Um, so basically like a blockchain effectively produces blocks, right? And every mm-hmm. single block processes transactions. Um, and that's what, you know, Ethereum does every 12 seconds, that's what Bitcoin does every 10 minutes. And Solana occasionally just stops doing that for hours at a time. Um, Mm -hmm. so it'd be like Instagram going
2: offline and Instagram just stops working. You can't use Instagram for a bit. It just
0: stops. It like, Mm -hmm. like, like,
3: (laughs) it's more like your bank turning off.
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like your bank just turning off, you know, or, or Mm -hmm. like the internet just turning off, you know?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Which it's, we, we, or,
0: or, or you could think of it like lag, if you're, mm-hmm. you know, if you play, you know, first per- person shooters or something, like imagine, yeah, <laughs> imagine if you had like 15 minutes of lag,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: in the middle of like your most important championship game.
2: And is that something that they can fix or they're working on improving or is it just kind of like inherent to the way that was designed? Yeah.
0: You know what, like the first time it happened, I, I would say it's something they could fix. The second time i would have been like, all right, you know, maybe they're learning their lesson the 6th 7th 8th time i mean it's clearly it doesn't work
2: mm-hmm.
1: like that's
0: just that doesn't work mm-hmm. so um so that that's one problem mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> what are the problem, other
2: problems
0: the other problem is that solana is like one of the biggest vc backed chains um so you know like all of these and it's not not crypto vcs it's like the trad vcs who don't give a shit about mm-hmm. you know defi and and like the ethos of crypto um So those guys, like they basically, their entire existence is to dump on retail. Like that's all that they do. That's all that they want to do all the time. Um, So there are, I I don't remember exactly what the numbers are, but it's like, I think it's like more than half of all soul is held by these non-aligned short-term, you know, completely profit focused, uh, TradFi investors. Um, and so, like they have to work through that, right? Like you have to move that capital out of their hands to remove the risk of retail getting dumped on. Um, Ethereum doesn't have that problem, right? Like Avalanche doesn't have that problem. Um, But Solana does. Solana has it really bad. Cardano doesn't even have that problem, you know? Mm
3: -hmm. In times like this, uh, you know, we usually focus on the big L1s and Bitcoin and stuff like that. Maybe we're not really talking about, you know, what, we're doing with them, but I wanted to ask you on on the you know topic of things not working. Um, Axie Infinity has kind of been going around, and people have been talking about it. Uh, their in game currency is down like a, to a fraction of a cent compared to where it was, uh, mm. you know, a few months ago at like thirty cents. Um, their team has come forward and sort of pivoted away from the play to earn. And started calling it a play and earn game, and sort of came out and said, "Yeah, it was never about the money," which is a huge difference from where it was, you know, six eight months ago when everything was good. Um, So, I guess my question to you is: Is a play to earn game a concept that can actually work?
2: Well, what's interesting with uh, also that is that you know they it seems like that you know that whole project is falling apart right now. And not long ago, we spoke to. Arca, another another fund for crypto, and they were they heavily believed in that project and what they were building there, and actually profited quite well, a bit. And I a, lot a, a lot of people believed in it. Yeah, and I've had a few friends that became like hundred millionaires through that, getting in early with Axie Infinity. Um, but you know what is happening there, and how much of that is like you know seems like a scam now?
0: Yeah, that's I mean that's a, that's a good question. So you know we don't have any exposure to play to earn. Um, so I've only sort of followed that a little bit tangentially. Um, I do know that, you know, I, I'm not that concerned about like Axie Infinity tanking play to earn, right? Like it's, it's a concept that I think has legs. I don't necessarily think that, you know, walk to earn and talk to earn and, right. You know have sex to earn and like all of these like everything everybody created a to earn thing and that doesn't make sense to me right this was this actually you can you you can go all the way back to like ico's in 2017 where you know the first projects that launched they were like all right how do i create a self-sustaining financial ecosystem so that like i'm not just paying out worthless money and there's no not, no value generating activity um video games computer games, whatever, like they do create economic worlds within them, right? They they create economic activity within the game. Um, I think we were talking about RuneScape earlier, right? But even right. something like, you know, like a Neopets and World of Warcraft, all this stuff, right? There are actual economies that develop internal to these games. Um, and so monetizing those economies in a way that uses crypto and web three, and basically breaks it out of this, you know, internal marketplace. I think that there's a lot of potential there. And I think that play to earn hundred percent has legs. I think that it's a really great way for like these indie game developers that have just been dying for years to have like a new revenue model, um, and a way for them to, uh, uh, you know, like work together and um, uh, like share costs, right? Instead of it being like one team has to like build one game, right? Like several indie, uh, several indie developers could like work together, create a sort of metaverse platform and build their own games that share the same universe, right? And sort of spread costs out that way. And then they can also create these interconnecting uh, uh, um, uh, game economies which are not simply locked into each individual game, but can interface with Web3, which interfaces with TradFi, and so now you actually can like make a living, right? Like selling items mm. in game or generating content in game, and the indie developers can basically take a cut of you know whatever is is being created in game, um, and so it empowers everyone in that you know in that cycle. Um, so and look, you know, actually didn't work. Neither did uh, neither did um, uh, CryptoKitties, right? Uh, back in twenty seventeen, it blew up. It was super awesome. You know, they went through the roof, and then uh, whatever, it didn't really work out. Um, and that's fine. Like that's the nature of experimentation and innovation.
3: Yeah, I think. A lot of the reason these games blew up there was kind of like, you know, cart before the horse. It blew up because people saw it as an opportunity to make money, not because it was a game people really wanted to play. Whereas like World of Warcraft, RuneScape, those were games that people just liked, yeah. genuinely liked. And then the economy happened and then lo and behold, people figured out like, oh, I can sell some of the items to my buddy. But with yeah. these, the, it seems like the whole premise is just like, hey, money yeah
0: yeah yeah Yeah, i've never played them i actually have no idea what you either do i don't even know
2: (laughs) yeah i have no idea what what it it even means but all i know is that at one point it seemed like the biggest thing in the world and now all of a sudden it doesn't seem like it's going to exist much longer
0: yeah it seemed like a super stripped down neopets or something
3: yeah Yeah. it'll be a very special moment when we actually get a play to earn game that's really good that people love to play i think that's going to be like a world-changing moment yeah
2: well, let's go. We gotta right, go. Right. Let's go build. Let's go build that, Henry. Thank you so much for all your time. You're always so fun to talk to, and I hope you don't have any more stressful days when someone asks you how your day is going, and you like want to want to jump off a building. But um, no, pleasure, guys. I love
0: being thank on. You, thank you,
2: thank you so much, and we'll we'll have to have you back on soon. And I, I do hope it keeps going down so I can buy some more. But um, let's yeah, uh, let's <laughs> see when when we hit a bottom.
0: Just uh, dollar cost average, just DCA. Yeah.
2: That's the name of the game that's, the, name yeah, of the, that's game. the smartest thing we can't we can't predict when it's going to stop going down but it also doesn't hurt to just to sit on the sidelines for a bit and see what
0: happens yeah yeah absolutely thanks
2: man we'll talk soon and awesome. appreciate the time
0: thanks guys thanks, thank ryan. you thanks ryan thanks, thank Terry.